Friendshiping is proud to be sponsored by Burping. Every week, Trent and I get in front of a microphone and we sort of fart with our mouths. Sometimes words come out, sometimes LaCroix bubbles come out. But I tell you what, we don't go through a single episode without one or both of us burping. So we just want to shout out to burping this week. Give it up. Use the code also shout burping. out to Ian for, <laughs> for editing most of them out. We use the code burping for what now? Oh, just uh, to get ten dollars off your next Lacroix can. <laughs> so you're going to be paid nine. It's fine. Trin's <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to apply logic here. <laughs> I just, I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to. Help. I appreciate that. I'm Jen, and I'm Trin. This, this is friendshiping. And the theme this week is when to tell your friends they're too stressed and when to not do that. That is a hard call to make. (laughs) Friendship between humans has many benefits, but sometimes there is drama and you want to call it quits. Don't write nasty subtweets or punch them in the tits. View friendship at the problem. Jen, this week we have a question about watching the news and... It's it's going to be a question. Uh, how are you feeling lately about the news? Should we start with that? Yeah, I feel a little steadier than usual. I've never watched so much cable news as I had in the last week, and I don't plan on doing it again. <laughs> Not a fan right, of the cable right. news networks, um, mm-hmm. but I have never watched. I watched a lot of it, and I got a little bit of brain poisoning from it and a little bit, oh, yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. of anxiety. Yeah, right. Just a little bit. Um, but mostly I'm feeling OK. We're like over a couple of days out of the election being called for Biden. And it's probably not a coincidence that I slept 11 hours last night. Oh, I have a I'm feeling, so glad you did. I know. I have a feeling those things are related. <laughs> I'm doing the similar thing. Like, I, I always say out loud on this show and on Twitter and to myself, because I keep on reminding myself like that, if feeling bad in itself is not productive. So I'm trying to only let myself feel as bad as I can be like effective at, at doing stuff. And so, you know, since the the popular vote, you know, the one that, that doesn't count quite yet, because like <laughs> the, the special people need to vote still for him to be the president. You know, since that was called, uh, I, you know, I do feel like a little better, you know, because obviously this doesn't really solve anything. It's more like certain problems are not going to get worse. You know, it's like the good news. exactly. And so I said to Connell the other day, I was like, I'm just going to ignore things only because the only thing I care about is what I should be doing right now. So like if the ACLU or Indivisible Chicago emails me and is like, we need you to make calls or like sign this thing or like do this thing, then I will do that thing. That is what I will do. But unless it's it's actionable, I am trying to stay away from the news a little bit. I think that's least. really a really good move because why grapple with confusing feelings if it's not going to propel you to do something or feel better, you know? And I don't need to be convinced that things are bad, you know, like I'm already, I already know oh, yeah. and I don't, I don't need more evidence. Trin, like I, if I, there's I anything you are not, I, it's naive or uneducated. You are not either you. of those things. Jen, can I tell you about something? Yes. Fun? Is this from your list of things to tell me about? Yes, I have a whole list. <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay. So one fun thing in my life lately is, um, so I have a goddaughter who I thought was 12. She's 10. I was, <laughs> I was a couple of years off. Whatever, when, same so thing. when you're in your 30s, a couple of years doesn't actually make a difference. But when you're 10, like the jump from 10 to 12 is pretty enormous. Yeah, that's a big deal. It turns out. 
So now we know better, which is great. But um, my goddaughter recently finished the show The 100. And she all she wants, she says, is science fiction books with cute boys and fighting. Oh, man. And so I love that. Right. I have already bought and mailed her the first five Animorphs books because, of course, like, so essentially I'm just trying to radicalize her at this point. Um, And I asked, you know, Twitter for suggestions and then promptly took my tweet down because I was like overwhelmed with stuff. But it's been really fun to be reminded that, you know, in a way we are all collectively raising the next generation. And if I can get my goddaughter to be angry about injustice and, you know, want to anamorph into a wolf or whatever the fuck, like, that's great. I'm in. God, yeah. And that's so exciting. I remember being that age and like, I still feel like this sometimes when I when I really get excited about a new book or fandom or something. But never did I ever feel it so strongly as when I was like 10, 11, 12. And it's just like you feel things so hard. I remember I would like watch Titanic and just like swoon because I would just feel it so much. And when I start discovering like YA and fantasy, it's like the whole you start to realize like, oh, my God, I will never be able. There's so many books and characters. I'll never be able to read them all. And the world gets so big in such a cool way. I I remember that feeling. Yeah. I mean, when you're like 10 to like 14, I feel like before you hit this, the high school years where people are like, you need to stop being yourself between the ages of like 10 to 14 is when you're really building your personality. You are figuring out like what is fun to you and like what what you like to experience. And Jen, I totally agree with you. Like, you know, I read the, the book, The Phantom Tollbooth made a really big impression on me. And I read it when I was 10 and I read it over and over again forever. And it made yeah. me into like a weird word idiot. But also I, I read Slaughterhouse-Five when I was 11. Oh, no, that's it, not a oof. Yeah, that traumatized me. But in such a way that it turned me into the weirdo I am today. So I'm like, I'm kind of grateful for it. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not going to give her Slaughterhouse-Five. You know, like, that's not what we're doing. But, you know, like, Sabriel by Garth Nix. I'm going to wait till she's 12 for that one, too, because there's a naked boy. But Oh, that's a good one. A couple years ago, I read The Maze Runner. I liked that. Oh, yeah. Somebody else just yeah, that, that's a too. Pretty good I've one. never read it. Yeah, I remember I remember Cute Boys. I don't remember too much about it. So is there fighting? Yes. Okay. And are there any girls in it at all? I cannot remember, which is not a great sign. You know, I almost, right? said, I almost said Hunger Games, but it's actually, I find as a person much older than uh, 10, 11, and 12, I find Hunger Games too upsetting. Oh, she's in the middle of reading it. Wow. Good for her. I mean, yeah. I'm in the minority here, but like, I really enjoyed those movies that I, and I never want to watch them again because they make me too sad. Isn't that weird? No, it's not weird at all because because uh, so my goddaughter has no context for what an unjust, awful world is, you know, like she was brought up in the suburbs. And like, and this is not I'm not shitting on my goddaughter right now. I need to be super no, I got clear. You. Like, I'm re- I'm very glad that she has had safety and comfort for the first 10 years of her life. And so when she reads Hunger Games, she has no context for peril. Like, this is yeah. just fantasy to her, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I would personally offer the Hunger Games to a 10-year-old myself. However, I, can, I feel like I can understand why that is okay, that, that it's okay for her to process that right now. Yeah, me too. It's just a personal thing to me. I still feel this way. I feel very strongly that along with, like, how I was raised and uh, it was fiction that taught me empathy. 
It totally. still teaches me today. Like it makes me a softer, kinder person to read something and feel pain and then close the book and go live in the world. And I carry that, the pain that I read when I was reading about someone else's story, I still carry that with me. So I love this. Your goddaughter is so cool. I love it. I just like, but now I'm, I'm on this whole different, um, since, since we started talking about like the level of unreality that you have when you're reading these things at like such a young age kind of thing. Um, so this reminds me, somebody suggested that I offer her Ender's Game, which is written by oh, Orson Scott Card, right. who's the, possibly one of the worst people ever. Yep. And what I said was, because this is true, Ender's Game absolutely ha- played a huge influence on who I am as a science fiction writer, because I actually write some science fiction now because I, I write an RPG. However, I want her to be able to have context for how awful Orson Scott card is before I offer her Ender's Game, because I would have wanted to know that going in. Oh, my and God. I did it. Yep. Yep. Same with Harry Potter. (laughs) You got to know this. You got to know who the author is, like who the author is as a person before you dive in and trust the words. Yeah. And like and, you know, she's she's 10. So I don't think yet. um, But I want to I'm going to give her a few years to kind of get some some more worldview absorbed. And then if she wants to make the decision to read Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, she can or she can read something better. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know you liked Ender's Game when you were a kid. Um, I, I it was one of those books that passed me by for better or for worse now. So I when I read Ender's Game again, like I did not have any context for how fucked up it is to like, you know, hinge the galaxy on a 12 year old, no matter how exceptional they are. And it's interesting in retrospect to think about how much um, OSC's shitty politics really played into the book. Like genetics is yeah. a thing like yeah. like like these people are special because of who their parents are and they were put together for a special reason and all this stuff. And that's really gross. But the first book, Ender's Game, has much fewer signals to uh, OSC's uh, toxic Catholicism than the others do, I would say. Oh, really? So if you ever wanted to read them, just stop at the first one. I kind of, I like to, I, I'll read it if my nieces ever pick it up or if they've shown any interest in it, because I like to read what they're reading. Oh, one of my cute. nieces is learning to read and it's been amazing and love it. But when she gets a little bit older and, and maybe we'll have some overlap from, we can both read some YA. I'm looking forward to that. How do we transition into this fucking question? We don't. We just abruptly take a left turn here. All right, I'm going to start reading. Yeah, do it up. Okay. When is it okay to suggest consuming less news to friends and family who seem too stressed? If it's okay, what words should one use? Also, is it ever okay to say, I'm worried about your apparent stress level? What suggestions can I give? Pronouns, he, him. I'm really glad that Asker is asking this. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's difficult. It's actually not a straightforward question at all. And the asker must know that otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't, or he wouldn't be asking. Right, right. Totally. Um, I, I th- it's very timely. And, you know, we talked about like our news consumption at the, at the start of the episode. It requires a pretty in-depth knowledge of the person that you're talking to and about. If you were to suggest watch less news, I'm worried about your apparent stress level over the news. That should only be addressed, I would say, to your closest people to you. First degree of separation, your brother, your spouse, your mom, your sister, whatever. It's we're not going friends of friends here. We're not going. I mean, I'm talking this is for your best friends, not for your buddies. You know, you need to know, are they that stressed out? Are they just or are they or are they just reasonably pissed about everything that's happening? (laughs) And you can't know that unless you're super close, I think. Yes, I totally agree. I think this can be a productive, positive thing to say to another person you care about, but the circumstances and context have to be so specific. 
You don't want to accidentally encourage someone to care less. Right. You also don't want to give unsolicited advice when it's, you know, that's unless it's like really never really only give advice when you feel it's absolutely worth it. Trent, I agree. This is like your close people. Um, and even then it could be it could be ill received. You never know. So I'm, again, I'm glad that Oscar's asking this because he's definitely understanding like, oh, this might not be well received with everyone I know. Right. Totally. Like when I read the question, I thought of of two two examples immediately. One was um, so my Canadian partner was getting very stressed out about the news, like as like votes were being counted and stuff. And because he's my partner, because I live with him and because he has a degree of separation from the politics because he's Canadian and because he cannot productively participate in this as a Canadian citizen, I said to him, babe, you absorbing and witnessing this is not helping anyone. You know, like I like he like you are so stressed. I want you to be able to sleep. And you know what? We are we hope going to come out of the other side of this. And when we do, I need you to be healthy. And that was a good conversation between us. It went over well. And it wasn't that he stopped reading the news. It's that he was like, "Okay, I'm going to stick to facts. I don't care about speculation. I don't care about discussion or opinions. I'm going to seek out facts only. And that was what was helpful for him. But then I also thought about when um, I'm, I, you know, I've been upset about the world forever, as many of you have, you know, and I imagine that you also, listeners, have a, a parent or a family member who is deeply dismissive of your fears and sadnesses. And those conversations uh, have made me resentful of those people who decided that, oh, you know, you can't do anything about it. You got to let go of the things you can't affect, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not how you address it. it. Like, I understand their point of view of like, oh, you should let go and like, oh, be with the wind or whatever. And there's a component of that that's true. Like I mentioned earlier, like, you know, if bad feelings are only as useful as they push you to action. But if you are consistently shut down in your completely reasonable feelings about the world by people who are close to you, you're going to not be close to them anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should clarify. We definitely think this is good advice given to the right person who you know well. You know, like when uh, if my partner told me to maybe take a break or exhale, it's because he's giving me permission to feel a little bit of joy in a dark time. And the and he knows that collective joy also spurs action. It's not just collective sadness. Yeah. If someone I wasn't close to told me this, I would be like, well, now I have to work even harder because it doesn't seem like you care. It's just, you're right, it would build resentment. An example that comes to mind is I had a friend who worked the polls on election day. And that's like a 12-hour day. And then when she came home, she, we were all in a text chat talking and she said, I'm going to, I'm going to mute this. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to re rest because there's nothing else I can do today. Right. And I was like, yes, fuck yes. That's exactly it. I am so glad you're taking care of yourself. And God, if anyone deserved it, it was someone who was working the polls that day. I did very similarly to that on election day. I feel in my life, I have felt better when I choose something to work on and then just work on that fucking thing. So I had set up myself for the days leading up to election day and all day on election day, well, actually, you know, half the day on election day because I got worn out. Um, I was making calls to swing states, but then also uh, for Lauren Underwood, who is running in the 14th uh, in Illinois. And was I a super effective phone banker? I don't know. But what I do know is that every time I Googled, what can I do to help? The only things that would come up at that point was phone bank, be a poll worker. 
I couldn't be a poll worker because you and I are in hard quarantine for our audiobook. I can't go to rallies because of that as well, you know, but I'm hoping like, you know, if <laughs> when needed, I'll, I will be there. But, you know, I picked the thing I could do and I let myself be distracted by that. And then I just shut everything out because until there are facts, there was nothing else for me to do, you know? Yeah, I really appreciate, Trin, how you've come to disregard speculation. And that is so healthy. I have a couple people in my life that are like veteran journalists, and I think I've been encouraging them to do a media literacy like workshop or something. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and not just not just for boomers. OK, not just for like my totally. dad, but for people. But like what is speculation and what is not? What is fact and what is not? The line gets blur is blurry. And I mean, I, we don't need to get too into like what polling means and stuff, but like it was it's a confusing time and it's deliberately confusing. So I want I personally want a media workshop and I'm, I'm going to push to see if I can put one of those together for my own for my own benefit. Even avoiding speculation that only raises your heart rate and blood pressure is is really good advice. If given in, back to the question, if given to the right person, if you know it'll be well received, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Jen, you know, I, I, I feel like we've got a, a pretty decent list of signs that you could step in and none of these on their own are enough. But a decent combination of these, I feel like, could 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 lead to a decent conversation. So signs you could step in. The person is not just talking about news on social media. They are talking about like speculative opinion news in every conversation that you have with them. And it's clearly making them very distressed. That's another sign. Yeah. And I think another sign is if their habits change very, very suddenly or very weirdly, like their sleep habits are strange or their heat eating habits strike you as something unusual. Because um, obviously, again, in this case, you know them well enough to know what is their quote normal. And uh, I, I'm sure everyone in the last week wasn't, I mean, I know based on the people in my own life were not sleeping or uh, eating as they normally do. Things were all up in the air. I certainly was, my sleep schedule was very, was very different. But we're talking about maybe not, maybe the times when uh, the election is about to be called. If they're still, if their habits still strike you as not normal for them, I think that maybe it's time, maybe time to, to check in. Yeah, definitely. Also, if they say out loud to you that they are deeply distressed and they don't know what to do. Like, I think of the phrase like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. If that comes out of a person, that's a really good sign to step in. Because that's the thing is like you can you can help them figure out what to do that would make them feel better. You know, um, for me, like I mentioned before, it was concrete action. I just Googled what should I do right now? And you can do that. You can do that with them and say like, would it make you feel better if we do some donations to bond funds? Because, you know, there'll probably be a lot of protesting coming up pretty soon. So they're going to need some help. Would it make you feel better if we looked up um, how to prepare to go to a protest? Because if that's what we want to do in the future, we can do that. Would it make you feel better if because um, there are still some elections that are being called, I think, like Georgia. I, I don't think Underwood is actually even called yet at the point of this recording. Right. Yeah, correct. Maybe there is actual like phone banking you can be doing. Um, there's there's never going to be a point where you can do nothing. You know, like like that will be very, very rare. So so just guiding them to Google up, like, what can I do to help blank? Yeah. I mean, you could also even ask. You can be like, hey, 
are you getting your bad feelings out or do you want to talk about solutions here? Yes. Or like, where, where are you at? Like, check in and, and see where they are because they might need someone to uh, remind them that there are useful things they can do. They might need someone to say, hey, go take a nap and then let's talk and make a plan for what we want to do next, you know? Yeah. Also, um, so this is now we're kind of veering off the signs that you should step in, um, which is fine. Fuck, we're done with that. The, the next thing is remember that uh, being immobilized is part of stress and part of healing. If this person is like, I don't know what to do. I am just going to like lay down on the floor for a while. Encourage them to do that because there's going to be a point where they get up off the floor. You know, like I think helping to remind them that feeling stress is normal because there's a layer of extra suffering that we put on ourselves, especially with this kind of stress, because we uh, I say we. But what I really mean is like I think the people listening to this podcast who give a shit about being nice. I don't know. Uh, we put this extra layer of judgment on our actions right now. Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much self-care? Um, oh, I'm in such a, a comfy, sheltered position like I should be doing more. Um, dude, uh, I wish everyone was comfortable. I wish everyone was safe. And keep yourself healthy if you have those conditions. And then we try to expand those conditions to more people. You know, like there are just there are so many ways to help and, and we can do that. But my point being, just try not to judge yourself for how you are reacting. And this is obviously advice for the person that you want to step in with. But you can say to that person, like, hey, I, I feel like you are judging yourself and it's adding an extra layer of anxiety. If you feel bad and are sad, need to nap or smoke some weed, that's OK because it will get you to the next day. You can let go. I think giving your friends permission to take care of themselves is, man, I certainly need to do it in my friend group. We all do it for each other because we're all stressed and worried people. And I don't want my people to run themselves to the ground, you know? Right. Um, you got to be, you got to be, you got to take care of yourself so you can help other people. If nothing else convinces your friend to to disengage and, and take care of themselves, remind them that, hey, the fight's going to continue to go. And if you burn out now, like, dude, uh, marathon, not sprint, you know? Hey, so we're getting into now uh, things that one could say to your distressed friend. Um, do you want to talk about maybe some scripts or... Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Off the top of my head, this is what came to me. I think I would say, hey, just checking in on you. Do you need permission to take care of yourself? Yeah. I'm giving you permission to take a nap. I'm giving you permission to drink a bottle of wine in the bathtub and not scroll Twitter. Just so you know, you're allowed to do this. I love that. And I love that you started with questions because for anything like this, anything, anytime when you want to give advice, anytime that you're worried, I think that asking questions and getting more information is super, super, super helpful and necessary. You could even ask them, how are you feeling? Do you feel like this is too much? Like, um, what can we do? Uh, yeah. What, like just making sure that you actually have all the information on them because they might respond like, you know, I'm angry and I'm stressed, but I'm getting it done, you know, and it's one of those things that's just kind of propelling me and like, yeah, I might be yelling on Twitter and stuff, but but that in itself is helpful for me. You know, they may say, hey, I don't need any help. This is actually this is what I want to be right now. I'm where I want to be right now. I'm pissed off and it's it's I'm, it's motivating. Yeah, I can't tell you how many group texts in the past couple of weeks have started off with the question. How is everyone? Yep. How you doing? What's the mood? You know, just just check in, ask questions first. And again, their anger or stress may not be enough for you to step in and say something because everyone's angry and stressed. That's kind of the default. 
It's actually a good sign, Asker, that the people around you are a little stressed out right now or a lot stressed out right now. It means that you are around people who are informed and who care. And that's not saying that um, on, that good informed people are stressed out and sad all of the time. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to imply. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but what I'm saying is... That does seem to be the case very often. Right, but right. Yeah. But but um you know uh we come we go in cycles you know like it's good to be stressed and angry until it pushes you to be productive until it pushes you to do something until you feel okay and then you rest and then you get angry again and then you do the thing you know like that's that is that's kind of the human condition at this point and and I'm glad that you are surrounded with empathetic people who care and those are the people who need care because we want them to still be functional uh, at the end of January we want them to still be functional in 2024 you know like it's this is still work and uh if they are cramming for a quiz a pop quiz constantly they're never going to take their final exams i don't know how else to say that oh, you know that's exactly you know earlier Trin, you said this is a marathon not a sprint I think some people we know and love are trying to sprint this marathon and you can't make anyone do anything. But what you can do is you can volunteer at the water stations. Yeah, you can. You can volunteer in those medical tents. So when people um, when people uh, faint when they run marathons, I was gonna say, this is, these there. are running man- me- metaphors, right? Yes, correct. This is, these are running metaphors. Yeah. But yeah, there are water stations, Gatorade stations and like medical tents and volunteers all along the marathon course. And I kind of think that's what Sometimes you're running the marathon. Sometimes your friend is. Sometimes you're all running it together, and then you look at each other and go, "We need to, let's walk. Let's take a walk break. Let's walk for a little bit before because you know the finish line. The thing about a marathon though is fin- marathons have finish lines, and this really doesn't. Um, so the walk breaks are even more essential. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about doing the work and what the work looks like, and I feel like w- around election time, we are all very focused on the work that goes into elections. Like the things we were talking about earlier, like, you know, being a poll worker or phone banking, et cetera, et cetera. But there are other things that are important that will still be problems in the future. And you can choose that thing and work on it, you know? So I like Block Club Chicago, um, a great local news. uh, If you live in Chicago, I definitely recommend getting a subscription, um, support local news. But their headline today was 9% of recycled materials, so things that Chicagoans put in the recycling bins, actually get recycled. Only 9%. So 91% yeah, of our trash goes into, like, the ocean. Um, hey, if you are the kind of person who has knowledge about um, waste disposal services or has law knowledge, this is something you can work on, too. You don't have to wait until the next election. There are other really good, important things you can do. Uh, Jen, uh, the organization um, that you volunteer with and are on the board of Esperanza, does incredible community work all of the time. And that's the kind of shit we're going to need when the federal government fails us. There's a whole mixed bag of stuff you can do. And I find that doing stuff makes me feel better. And I also find that taking a rest makes me feel better. So hopefully, if you need to have this conversation with your primary, one of your primary uh, loved ones, you can talk about rest and you can talk about productivity because those are really, the, I think, the two things. Those are really the only two things you can do is either rest or do, right? I think so. I mean, that's certainly how I live my life. <laughs> and, you know, Trin, I love what you said. Like, I this is advice to me as much as it is wisdom for anybody else, which is don't don't make your volunteerism based on the election cycle. Yeah, yeah. One thing I read, oh, this was a couple of years ago, and it always stuck with me as something interesting, which is 
blood drive donations are very people give a lot of blood around the holidays and blood is usually in need around the summer months and i always think that's so interesting and like it's not it's just says something interesting about like the humans how around the holidays we're encouraged to give right and which is a wonderful lovely thing because it's a very difficult trying time for base for everybody um but in the in the summer there's not that same push and it's not anyone's fault it's just how we all operate so i'm trying i'm personally in my life trying to find the things that are this isn't getting a lot of attention right now let's give that some attention right and jen it also speaks to um how capitalism keeps all of us so busy you know like like <sighs> yes. we think about giving in the holiday season because of capitalism and and we don't have time to think about it any other time of the year because of capitalism because we're working and you know shuttling our kids places and in etc cetera, etc cetera. also like we we've been talking about resting and doing and for a lot of people sometimes that's not actually even possible and like you, you sh- Go take care of yourself. Just get yeah, out of here. man. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, I was just talking about this blood donation thing, and I think it's a wonderful cause. However, it's not right for me because the last time I gave blood, I threw up and fainted. Oh, babe, so like, no. So that one, that one's not going to be on my list no. so much. But, you know, something else. I'll find something else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Like I canvassed um, for Lauren Underwood last political cycle. And I obviously I'm not going to canvass door to door right now for clear reasons. But I'll also never fucking do it ever again because yeah. I'm bad at it. It stressed me out. I don't think I actually did anything helpful. So I'm going to pick something different. <laughs> you know, like it's OK yeah. also to fail. You know, when you pick the productive thing. You might pick something that's not right for you, and then you pick again, and it's fine, you know? Volunteerism. Find something that works for you, right. that you enjoy doing. So ask her, when you help your friend or your loved one, family member through this process, there are so many different ways this conversation can go. But primarily, you are asking questions, finding out the answer, finding out what the feelings are, finding out, like, what they're doing, how they're feeling, are they sleeping? And then you kind of go from there because, man, this is tricky fucking territory. And it starts with questions. Has this been friendshipping? Jen, I think you're right. I think this has been friendshipping. It has. It totally has. If you would like to ask us a question, you can. Friendshippingpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can at Do Friendship. If you'd like to pre-order our book, there's an easy way to do it. And I believe, Jen, please correct me if I'm wrong. It is uh, friendshippingbook.com. Yeah. Right now that page leads you to Amazon, but um, you could also go to bookshop.org to find an independent bookstore near you. Eventually, friendshippingbook.com will have a landing page that leads you to independent bookstores, but we're not there yet. So anyway, just go to Do Friendship and our Twitter account and there's a million options for you there. Thank you to Ian Parman for editing, especially with this new um, schedule that we have. Ian's been such a trooper and it's been wonderful. Thank you, Lauren Gallagher, for all the design work. Thank you so much, Molly Lewis, for our theme song that we have loved for years and years. Thank you to Monica Verma for being our agent. Uh, And thank you all for listening. And you're welcome for talking. Do friendship at the problem. Burping, thank you also to Burping for all of the thousands of dollars that you've pumped into our show to make the production quality as good as it is today. (laughs) 